0: Farm Talk on C103 with the Dairy Gold Prime Elite Rumi Force Calf Cube. Maximise calf performance and health at grass by optimising the function of the rumen.
1: Welcome to the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme with John O'Connor. Later on our programme, details regarding the passing of the European Union nature restoration Rewetting laws. Open day planned for Clonakilty Agricultural College. Acres payments on the way in a matter of days for many farmers. And also Liam Stack, ruminant technical manager, Dairy Gold, looks at feeding your cow to get her back in calf as quick as possible. Feeding your cow, holding milk protein as high as possible. And feeding your cow to reach an appropriate peak milk yield. Also, how to go about achieving the various goals involved in this. And what is the energy demand of a cow? All these points answered by Liam Stack, Ruminant Technical Manager, Dairy Gold, our sponsor. That's later in the program with Mr. Liam Stack. Next in the program Details of West Cork Plowing. Joining us on the farm program, Miss Caroline Jellings, PRO for the Cork West Plowing Association. Caroline, welcome to the program for an update now on ploughing matters from Cork West. You have a brief announcement I understand.
2: I do indeed John, thank you very much. Um, Click Dock Ploughing Association will hold their annual ploughing match, weather permitting, on tomorrow Sunday the 3rd of March on the lands of Charlie and Valerie O'Connell, Barleyfield, Britain. The nearest air code to the plough field is P72CR68. Entries are to be with Kevin O'Driscoll on zero eight seven six two zero five eight nine four. So that is zero eight seven six two zero five eight nine four by ten A. M. today, Saturday the second of March. Ploughing will commence at eleven AM sharp. Now due to the weather conditions um Carmore had to cancel their annual annual ploughing match last Sunday, the twenty fifth of February. Now this is yet to be rescheduled but there's just a couple of upcoming plowing matches that can be put in your diary. So next Sunday, the 10th of March, that is, of course, weather permitting, Kilty will hold their annual plowing match. Now, this will also be the county finals uh, plowing match for, for Cork West. Uh, plowing is to take place, by current permission, on the lands of John Sutton, Rock Savage, Clannacilty, and his air code is p 5 e 436 now, entries have to be to myself, Caroline Jennings, on 87 by 9pm Friday the 8th of March. Ploughing will commence at 11am, sharp, And also for your diaries, League Ploughing Association are hoping to hold their annual ploughing match, again like this is all weather permitting, on Bank Holiday Monday the 18th of March. There'll be further details on that in the next report. OK, John, that's
1: it. That's Grant. Thank you very much indeed, Caroline. Miss Caroline Jennings, PRO for the Cork West Ploughing Association. Thank you, Caroline. Thanks a million. Thank
2: you, John. Thank you very
1: much. You're very welcome. We're joined on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme by Mr Liam Stack, Ruminant, technical manager, Dairy Gold. Of course, Dairy Gold, our sponsor. First of all, Liam, welcome to the programme. Now, as we've noted, it's early in March. There are a lot of cows calved already. Farmers are busy. In terms of dairy cow nutrition, what are the priorities or what is the main focus now in terms of nutrition?
3: Hi, John, and hi to all your listeners and thanks very much for having me on the show. And I suppose, John, right now, the ultimate goals from early lactation nutrition are to get your cows back in calf as quickly as possible, to feed your cows to hold milk protein as high as possible, and to feed your cows to reach an appropriate um, peak milk yield. All three are very significant to farm profitability and are key legs of farm sustainability. Um, And moving from a 60% six-week in calf rate to a 90% calving rate can generate €25,000 for the average dairy-cold herd, an improvement of 1% In annual milk protein, is worth about €5,000, again, to the average dairy-gold herd. And an improvement in peak milk yield of one litre is worth about €9,000, again, to the average dairy-gold herd. So all three are hugely important from a financial standpoint and from a farm sustainability standpoint. All three are influenced by nutrition, but they're not all nutrition-focused alone. For success in all three, you need to have a good breeding profile you'll need to breed your cows with genetic potential to succeed in all three. And all a farmer can do when he presents nutrients to a cow is to present them to the cow. It's up to the cow's genetics then to decide where she will allocate those nutrients. So will she push up more milk or will she mind her body and can score a bit more? So a high herd DBI and a balance of index for fertility and production is vital for success in all three. But assuming that your herd genetics are okay, you will need to put an appropriate feeding plan in front of your cows. There's no point breeding a cow to produce 30 litres of milk potentially, but only feeding her like she's going to produce 23 litres of milk. She will partition the energy you give her towards milk, she will lose weight, and ultimately she will struggle to go back in calf. So it's important to have breeding and have an appropriate nutrition plan in front of your cows right now.
1: So Liam, how do we go about achieving these three very important goals at farm level, which you've outlined so clearly and in such detail?
3: The main Focused on in achieving
1: getting your cows back in
3: calves, maintaining milk proteins or a high milk protein as possible, and again, and achieving a high level of peak milk yield in the spring is all energy. Um, you need to feed the best quality forages. That's the highest EMD sizes that you have available. You need to feed grass where possible. Now, grazing conditions at the moment are, are difficult. The weather is not with us. It's against us. But where possible, get as much grass into your cows as, as possible. And you need to feed a balanced level of concentrate with the base forage that you're feeding your cows.
1: Energy demand. What actually is the energy demand of a cow?
3: When it comes to cows,
1: like you and I, John, they have a maintenance requirement. And I suppose
3: that we're all watch Operation Transformation around Christmas and they talk about a calorie allowance of about 2,000 calories for a man and two thousand two and a half thousand calories for a man, sorry, and 2,000 calories for a woman. And that's your maintenance requirement, which is required. So you don't lose weight any weight or gain any weight and a cow has a maintenance requirement just like you and i that's the energy that she needs just to stand still and on top of her maintenance requirement then she has a requirement for every liter of milk that she produces so a cow that's milking 23 liters needs about 16 ufls but a cow that's milking 30 liters needs about 20 percent more energy or 19 ufls and to meet these requirements a cow consumes energy in the form of forages and concentrates the more energy she can get from her forage source the less concentrates that are needed to meet your cow's requirement Grass typically is about 20% higher energy than silage. Um, So we must um, get as much grass into our cows as possible, again, allowing for the weather conditions that are there currently.
1: How would you define the quantity of concentrates needed to produce a balanced level of concentrates?
3: So, again, the amount of concentrates that you feed your cows should be um, related to the DMD of your silage or how much grass you're getting into your cows and then how much milk your cows are producing with higher yielding cows requiring higher levels of concentrate. So for the average cow that's going to peak at about 25 litres on the average silage, that's about 68 DMD, you're looking at 8 kilos of concentrate while your cows are indoors on grass silage alone. If you can get your cows out to, to grass for 6 hours a day, you can drop that feeding level to 6 kilos, and if you can get your cows out to grass for 12 hours a day, you, again, you can drop by a further 2 kilos to 4 kilos. However, as the, your yields change and as your forage quality changes, you need to adjust your concentrate, feeding level, to adjust for the amount of inner milk that your your cows are producing, and you need to make sure you you're keeping your concentrate feeding level in balance with what your cow actually requires.
1: Now, to know what you're dealing with, how can a farmer actually access the energy nutrition of his herd?
3: Your bulk tank um, offers great insights into your herd's energy status. You, the low milk protein in early lactation is a sign that your concentrate feeding level is not in balance with your cow's requirements. You want your herd to stay above 3.05, um, if possible. Right now, you know, we, we're not getting as much grass into our cows as we would have had in previous years due to the weather, and proteins are starting to dip and are starting to come under pressure at farm level. So if your proteins are low, you should just adjust, adjust your concentrate feeding in line with that. A high butterfat to protein ratio is also an indication of ketosis or your cows that are, that are low in energy. And an early lactation, the butterfat to protein ratio, ratio um, should be um, less than 1.4 to 1. So, that is a butterfat of 4.5 so to a protein of 3.15 will give you a ratio of roughly 1.43 to 1. Um, the high level of butterfat is not a good thing. The high level of butterfat is coming from your cows, breaking down body fat and giving you butterfat inside her in udder.
1: An amazing amount of very useful information there. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Liam Stack, ruminant technical manager with our sponsor, Terry Gold. Thank you, Liam, very much indeed. Thanks a million.
3: John, thanks very much. Your
1: mother, Michael. We are joined on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme by Mr Darren Carty, Sheep and Schemes Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. First of all, Darren, welcome to the programme. Now, at the moment, there are you know, so many uncertainties in agriculture. It would appear, at least, there's good news regarding acres payments. Now, in the journal, you point out the update regarding acres payments.
4: Yeah, so we, we, we finally, as you said, John, there's finally been some, uh, say, good news on the acre side uh the payments are going to issue so this is the interim payment. So uh if we if we step back for very briefly, so acres payments should have been paid out la in the end the of 2023. There was significant difficulties with the IT systems, which resulted in eighteen thousand of forty six thousand applicants uh, being paid. Since that has been close enough to maybe two thousand more applicants being paid, leaving almost twenty-five thousand farmers which hadn't received payments. The uh, Minister of Agriculture, Charlie McConlogue, uh, made a decision then that there would be interim payments, so the IT, say, computer system still isn't sorted, but in the meantime, he made a decision that for anyone that was in Acres General, there would be an interim payment of 4,000 made, and for anyone that was in Acres Cooperation, which is generally mostly along the Western Seaboard, that they would get an interim payment of 5,000 and that the balancing payment would be made in June 2024. So that money should be hitting uh, farmers' bank accounts either this week or very early next week. So the payments were sanctioned on Wednesday. Now, we would calculate that there could be possibly a thousand or maybe a slightly more farmers that aren't in this interim payment. Minister McConlough has said that uh, there is still a small, say, percentage of farmers who are base and processing delays, but he has given a commitment that they will be sorted within the next 10 days.
1: Well, that's great news to find movement at last. Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Darren Carty, Sheep and Schemes Editor, Irish Farmers Journal. Thank you, Darren, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thank you, John. You're very welcome. We're joined on the Farm Talk programme by Mr. Keith Kennedy, College Principal, Clonakilty Agricultural College. First of all, Keith, welcome to the programme. Now, could you please tell our listeners all about the upcoming Open Day, which you're holding at Clonakilty Agricultural College. Can you tell our listeners about this Open Day?
5: Uh, Hi, John. Yes, uh, we have our Spring Open Day coming up on Friday, March 15th, starting at 11am, and uh, we'll be welcoming... career guidance teachers and uh, farmers and families there, anyone interested in the career and agriculture on any of our courses. Um, and we talk about any course offered by Chagas, but specifically for Dara.
1: That's great. Now, what can people expect to see on the day?
5: Yeah, it was, uh, like some of the uh, previous ones, you know, they can meet uh, staff delivering our courses and see our facilities that are expanding at the moment and uh, view the machinery, the livestock that we have and uh, the, the you know, the facilities that they'll be working in while they're completing courses if they come to us in, in September. And there'll be opportunities to ask questions and in, and get information about, you know, our learner support that are there and accommodation that might be available for people if they're coming from further afield than, uh, you know, our local area.
1: Now, any changes to last year, listeners might like to know about, any changes to last year, Keith?
5: Yeah, so we're nearing the completion of a new building in the college. Uh, it's going to be used for machinery practical training across all our courses. Uh, it's fairly substantial. It's about eight thousand square feet. It's shy of eight hundred square meters. So I, I think it'll be a big addition to the facilities for young farmers coming to Dara in, in the future, and it'll allow us to offer a wider range of modules. And we'll be putting in a, a dedicated machinery practical space as well for our tractor simulators. And we'll have a larger milking machine demo area. Uh, that we were hoping to develop during the summer
1: Any changes to the course offerings themselves? Yeah
5: we have uh, John, so I suppose last year I would have mentioned that we were developing apprenticeships in, in Chagask, uh, but they've been uh, started at this stage now so uh, the College in Dara is the sole base for the Level Six farm technician apprenticeship, and the first intake of apprentices started with us last December and they were with us there last week again so uh, they've already started with they'd already started the, their employment on farms are in Cork and further up the country uh, and I suppose compared to our other courses it's a different way of learning and, and gaining a level six or a green star qualification. Uh, so the farmer registers with solace to be an employer and then they advertise to, to employ a person on a, on a two-year friendship um, and then those young people attend the college for 40 days during the uh, year and uh, the rest of the time they're engaged in learning with their employer. So uh, there's a lot more information that you know I c- could go into but uh, if we better for people to come and visit us on our Open Day um, and pick up the information on on March 15th.
1: Now, for people thinking applying for a full-time course, if they want to apply for a full-time course...
5: When people are applying for courses, they can go online to uh, chagisk.ie and uh, forest.com and and they'll be able to find information on how to apply for courses. So that will be for full-time courses, and we will have a machinery option for people that will be progressing through a a two-year programme with us. So you know we've always had an interest in machinery in, in, in the area and uh, also in the fabrication area. So that version of the green cert wasn't available, but it will be from this autumn going forward. So anyone that's applying for courses now, that that will be there from in in, uh, in their second year.
1: Now courses at the moment. What are students doing at the moment on the courses?
5: Uh, yes. Yeah, so our first years are finishing up uh, with their with, with their studies, and uh, they would. We've got started placement uh, there at the end of the first week of March, so they're with farmers in, in the area for their uh, eight-week placement. Our second years have been gone out since the end of January, so they're well into their four months working with uh, farmers all, all over Munster. So, uh, similar to last year, we've had you know, strong interest, interest for students that wanted to travel abroad, and some of them have, have gone overseas as, as well. But um, you know, it's, it's the time of year now when things are starting to, to wind up from a. An academic point of view, when people are outside, you know, practising their skills on, on farms around the country.
1: What courses would be available for people this coming autumn, we'll say?
5: Yeah, so for people that will be, say, finishing up in school or that have maybe finished up recently uh, or may have gone down some other career paths, you know, this, this September we'd have the two-year Level 6 Advanced Certificate uh, in in farming. and uh, We've also got a two-year part-time course for people that will be over 23 and we've also got our distance course that people would uh, be familiar with. Uh, that's for people that have already studied in a, in a different area, uh, maybe a craft apprenticeship, or they've been working, uh, you know, in, in uh, maybe a, uh, a profession, and now they need a a qualification to farm. So that that will be starting uh, this September also. And then there's also the, the four-year Mtu type courses that are run out of Cork and um, and, and Kerry. Uh, they'll be at degree level so all all those courses are available for people that would be uh, looking to apply uh, this year.
1: That sounds absolutely amazing a great uh, choice there now I know it's a bit repetitive but people might have missed out on that key piece of info how do people how do our listeners apply for courses which they'd like to find out more about or who already are very very uh, keen to join so how do people apply for courses?
5: Yeah, so any of our full-time uh, courses you'd be looking at uh, going online to e and navigating through to where the education section is, and, and at that point then you can apply online for our two-year advanced art or, or the part-time or, or the distance education. Uh, it's not through the CEO, so you, you make an application online and we would be offering places for applicants uh, come the end of June.
1: Entry requirements: parents and teachers are always interested in the Entry requirements for full time, for example, for the full time cert in agriculture. Now, what are the requirements which people ought to, you know, check out if they've an interest in the full time cert in agriculture?
5: Yes, so for young people who are looking to join, you just you need to be uh, at least 17 years of age at the uh, end end of this year. So that that would be the 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 key requirement Um, for people who are be looking at the part time or the distance education option. There are other uh, qualifying criteria. So for part-time, you need to be over 23 and for the distance education, you would need to have a, a non-cultural award uh, already uh, gained uh, at this stage.
1: Where can listeners find out more information if they tuned in halfway through our conversation and they'd like to find out more? So where can listeners find more information on all of those wonderful courses and opportunities you've been referring to, Keith?
5: Yeah, so like all, all our courses will be mentioned on uh, the Trackers the website, www.chaggers.ie/saskatchewankilty, kind of but we're also on social media, so you, you know we've been seeing updates. To do it all the activities that are around this this spring, such as the machinery facility that's been developed, and also you know, the other the, the, the uh, activities on the farm. But we'd also be posting things like such as the opening that's coming up on, on Friday week on the fifteenth, and um, you know the the tours will be starting at, at eleven a.m. and they'll go on to uh, one p.m.
1: And very finally, the actual date of your open day.
5: Yeah, so just to say it again there, John, it'll be on March 15th, Friday, starting at 11 o'clock in the morning.
1: That's wonderful. Thank you very much indeed, Mr Keith Kennedy, College Principal, Clonakilty Agricultural College. Thank you, Keith, very much indeed. Thanks a million. Thanks, John. You're very welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold uh, Farm Talk programme, Mr Noel Barton, news correspondent with the Irish Farmers Journal. Noel, first of all, welcome to the programme. Now, that very contentious issue of the EU nature restoration law. You have two articles in this week's Irish Farmers Journal, Saturday, 2nd of March, 2024. Nature restoration law gets EU green light. And the second article, Farmers Frustrated with Nature Restoration Law Uncertainties. You might just briefly give an overview of what the vote was and indeed uh, when this is likely to go into effect, this uh, implementation of the nature restoration law.
6: Yes, yeah, so I suppose as some of your listeners will know, John, um, they would have heard quite a bit, of, quite a bit about this last year. And I suppose what we had this week, just on Tuesday, was the final vote in the European Parliament to finally ratify the law. So the nature restoration law is in effect now. We're no longer talking about proposals. We are talking about a law that Ireland will have to follow. And what this law does is that it places legally binding targets um, on Ireland to restore nature, to restore habitats, with these targets to be met in 2030, 40 and 50 And when we're talking about habitats, um, we're we're talking about practically any habitat you could think of. So we're talking about rivers, lakes, grasslands, forestry. And I suppose the the implementation will really depend um, on what's drawn up in what's going to be called our National Restoration Plan, which will have two years to draw up. And there'll be an extensive consultation process, we're told, with this plan, And it's essentially after this plan is drafted and approved by the EU that um, farmers and landowners may see some changes kicking in uh, due to this nature restoration law.
1: In your article, you indicate there's no new funding stream available. No, I suppose that was one of the
6: most contentious issues in the law, um, as it was just a proposal and as it was kind of making its way through the different EU institutions. And farming organisations would have raised this quite a bit last year um, when the nature restoration law really came into the spotlight. So essentially there's no new funding that has yet been attached um, to to back the rollout of these restoration measures. And there is a worry there that existing funding streams, this was the one most relevant for farmers, would be the cap that these funding streams may be uh, that there might be funds siphoned off of these these funded streams to, to pay for the nature restoration law. Um, I suppose that was one of the key concerns that was raised since the vote and indeed before it, uh, months before it by farming organisations. And I suppose the other big concern um, is the lack of clarity that's there around um, definitions in the law. So even if we're to take that all the, the targets are based on um, changing habitats that are in poor condition into ones that are in good condition, we still don't know exactly what it will mean for a habitat to be in good condition. So, for example, if a farmer is in the acre scheme and maybe they ha- they have selected the results-based pasture option or they have a riparian buffer, um, we still don't have certainty that that is going to clarify as restoration or if they'll have to go above and beyond this um so there is still a little bit of confusion there, but there are hopes that this national restoration plan uh will be an opportunity to, to clear these to clear these uncertainties up. Um and I suppose the fact that the law passed before there is complete certainty there around some of these issues is was also just uh something that was raised by the farming organisations. Um, they're really saying if you want farmers to get on board with this, you really need to tell them what's going to be required of them and what will be offered before you pass it, rather than maybe putting the cart before the
1: horse. And very interestingly, we see the Irish MEPs, virtually all of the Irish MEPs voted in support of the law, passed by 329 votes to 275, with 24 abstentions. Now, the two Irish MEPs who voted against it were Independent MEP Luke Ming Flanagan and Sinn Féin's MEP Chris McManus, so it would appear, despite the urgings of the farm organisations and emphasising the value of agriculture and the family farm to Ireland, it would appear the vast majority of Irish MEPs supported this law, contentious or not. Yes,
6: yeah, so I suppose the two MEPs that you mentioned as voting against the law and who, enforced, who, who ended up being in the, the minority of MEPs who, who voted against it Um, The the concerns they raised are similar enough to the ones that we've mentioned just uh, a couple of minutes ago to do with the uncertainties around funding and definitions. Um, But, yeah, as you said, 11 out of 13 of Ireland's MEPs did vote for it. And uh, one of the interesting kind of ways that the vote played out is that the EPP, the European People's Party, of which all the Fine Gael MEPs are a member of, um, the EPP group itself called on its MEPs to reject the law, but Ireland's five epp slash Fine MEPs did back it. Um, so I suppose this was the last chance that, um, that those who are against the law in its current form had to kind of send it back to the drawing board and to get the Commission to come up with new ideas and funding streams. Um, so the law, as it is, um, has, has passed. So that was essentially the final say that the the MEPs that the European Parliament had in the law.
1: Speaking to Mr. Noel Barden, news correspondent, Irish Farmers Journal. Noel, you cover a great deal of farmer reaction, farmer organisation reaction and the background to the vote and analysis of the vote. And just to conclude on one possible straw to clutch, the law provides an emergency break for targets related to agri-ecosystems, which In cases where food production, the potential for food production would be severely reduced, in that case, these measures may be eased or suspended, I understand, looking at your article.
6: There are, in fairness, a few other flexibilities that have been added since the law was originally proposed back in, could have been June 2022. So there is further flexibilities there around re-wetting peatlands as well, that if a country is particularly impacted and um, because it has a high covering of peat soils that it could look to somewhat ease the, the targets or to push them back a bit and ireland would be considered one of those countries so i suppose what it all plays down to now is to see our own national restoration plans see what kind of measures are in that what kind of funding is brought forward and as well to see what way these flexibilities play out and um, because it can be difficult with some of these eu laws and regulations to see I suppose it can be easy to look at them when they're they're written on paper in black and white but it's really when it comes down to implement, implementation on the ground uh, that's really what farmers will be looking will be looking towards
1: well, thank you very much indeed, Mr Noel Barden, news correspondent, Irish Farmer's Journal. And your two articles in this week's Irish Farmer's Journal have an amazing amount of detailed information and you highlight the frustration of farmers as well. That's on page 6 of the Irish Farmer's Journal, Saturday, 2nd of March, 2024. No, thank you, Noel, very much indeed. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme... Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmer Association National President, Mr. Sean McNamara. First of all, Sean, welcome to the programme. You say the ICSA is very disappointed with the Nature Restoration Law vote, how the vote went, the voting of the Irish MEPs.
7: We were talking to the MEPs in Brussels two weeks before that, all the Irish MEPs, and they all told us the vote against it, but they totally done the opposite. So we're not happy about that. Now the biggest problem is the funding, and what funding is here? Uh, President Timberman says that he's going to put no money towards it, and that's the big thing. Um, The state is talking about that it will be done in all state lands, but there's no way um, state lands will cover the amount of ground that has to be wet. Another thing is the impact on farmers that's surrounded the state land. Once they flood the state land, they're going to flood the surrounding farmers. They're talking about restoring habitats and all that. Like, it's not simple. It's a, it's a new rule for farmers, a new law, which will have serious consequences of farming in a, in a few years' time.
1: And, uh, Sean, again, this seems to cover quite a range of um, land which could be used by farmers or which could be in farming use at the moment and may have been in farming use for generations. Grasslands, forests, peatlands, bogs, rivers and lakes. So, in fact, uh, that seems to be very much a catch-all situation. And as you referred to earlier in our conversation, the idea that um, state lands like uh, bog lands or forests or other state lands would totally cover this measure, you say that's by no means certain.
7: Uh, Definitely not, um, it, will not, it It can't happen. They need a lot more land than they're saying. They're just keeping us, keeping us in. What will we put it? They're, they're keeping us in the lurch at the moment. They're not. They're not telling us exactly what they need. Like ISIS ago, the guy says farmers now go three in, including myself. I mean about myself. Three in the land, shore the land, spend serious money and have has a good fertile land now. And any farmer that's a long board in the or long forest and the navy with them, and. The, and flood their land back again after all the hardship and all the money. And it's, it's not Lord that. It's going to devalue farmers' land that's long forest. It's going to devalue the land. It won't be worth there as much as it could be worth Ten or 12,000 an acre now. The biggest problem that could be devalued is maybe 3,000, 4,000 an acre.
1: And your members would have experience of the National Heritage Areas, NHAs and SACs, Special Areas of Conservation. And again, the theory was, you know, somewhat acceptable but at the same time, in getting the money, well then, it, it was probably a very slow, complicated way of getting your compensation.
7: It was near—it was nearly impossible to get compensation for it. And uh, as far as the compensation is, there's a lot more to be done than the compensation they pay for. That's the way I look at it. Um, they have rules and regulations and NHA and SACs, and farmers can't farm it, they can't cut silage and they can't raise it different times of the year and everything and it's causing farmers an immense, immense amount of pressure on farmers like they can't get like last year you seen once July came in the weather got bad and a lot of them never got crops or got nothing like that and it's it's a serious financial consequence of farmers talk about the compensation the compensation meant nothing
1: and again in your press release of 27th of February 2024 you point out that it's all very fine saying that funding has actually been committed but at the same time this will be contingent on, you know, budget negotiations. So whereas money has been earmarked to, to go to the nature restoration law implementation, at the same time, it would appear this is far from tied up and is subject to debate. And again, it's dragged out.
7: Yeah, it's definitely dragged like out. Like I says we're changing our MPs now, and it could drag out for another six or seven months, like, and uh, like I guess this commissioner, Timber, Timberman, wants to put no competition there. He wants to let farmers do it without putting competition there. Uh, like, it's a serious amount of competition that would be needed. Um, but whether we're able to get it or is another day's story. Like, all right, Board the morning at the moment is getting serious competition when we went to the bogs. But the farmers beside Board of Mourn is getting no money. So, like, I know where the whole thing is going. Like, as far as I can see, farmers are making, may do more and more for less and less.
1: So would you say looking at the whole country, looking at where all of the ICSA Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association members are, you know, spread, would you say that in rich farmlands in Munster they wouldn't be affected as badly as perhaps in the west of Ireland or in places where people, you know, really were eking out an existence with sheep on mountainsides and land which had been very difficult to reclaim at all. But do you feel this is something that will hit one part of the country perhaps more than the other?
7: Well, it'll hit the western part of the country mostly. Like we'll say from we Muningar back to Galway, the whole way back to Gamindahiri myself, it's going to hit them farmers, like a lot of them suckler and sheep farmers, their land. It's just mediocre, like it's bog, half bogland or whatever. And we've sheep and sucklers, and it's, the biggest problem is it's going to diminish the suckler. I know the suckler herd is falling, but it's going to diminish it further. It's going to diminish the sheep herd, and, and the biggest problem is what's going to happen is we've young people coming on, and there's no viable living for our. Oh, going to be no viable living for them to stay in farming. We're going to see rural Ireland. We're going to see just from the western part of Ireland. We're just going to see it disappear. Houses disappear. Families just leave the country gone, it's going to be serious when it
1: happens. Changing the subject, uh, Sean, speaking to Mr. Sean McNamara, Irish Cattle and Chief Farmers Association, recently elected uh, President. Sean, looking at another very important issue, it's a well-known complaint amongst farmers. They feel, as producers of the raw material, as producers of the basic material, they find their cut the percentage they get is often far less than a person who only passes along and barely handles the product. Now, I think recently you had a meeting regarding the situation with a proposed um, ombudsman or someone who would try and regulate the prices along the food chain in a just way, in a fair way. What was the outcome of that meeting? You might confirm what happened.
7: Yeah, we met them all right. But shouldn't it be twelve months time before there's anything done or in the year anyway. They're only getting their board up and ready to run and uh, the torters that they if we say if a supermarket decides to sell uh, part of the cost of production they can't do they can't do anything about it and uh, like as far as I can see they have very little power, they've no power And uh, uh, the beef that's going out abroad or lamb going out abroad. But we see what's happening at the moment with the what, the, what happened to the sheep at the moment with the Hades uh, bombing the, the ships out in um, the Suez Canal. We're seeing food security be, is a very big issue in England at the moment. The camping in New Zealand lamb and slaving lamb getting very scarce and very dear. So like, it's sort of out like, you know what I mean, and the thing goes on. But I was very disappointed with uh, the way they're going to meet us again. But I was very disappointed in and, the uh, and outcome way you know,
1: that me. Mr. Sean McNamara, Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers Association National President. Sean, thank you very much indeed. Thanks a million. You're
7: quite welcome, John, and nice to nice be on your show.
1: You're very, very welcome. Joining us on the Dairy Gold Farm Talk Programme, IFA Munster Chairman, Mr. Conor O'Leary. First of all, Conor, welcome to the programme. Now, looking at the turnout of tractors and farmers for the Enough is Enough campaign, later stage, do you feel there was a Good response from farmers, and you might just uh, give an overview of how the Enough Is Enough campaign uh, got going on that day, on last Monday, for twenty sixth.
0: Thank you, John. We were absolutely amazed at the number of farmers that turned out that morning. Now, since I spoke to you last, and our plans were to meet at the county hall at nine thirty, we put in a little detour before that, and tractors met around the county at uh, six forty-five a.m. Uh, in Little Island, the Anglers rest in Carrigeron and in Ballygarvan, south of the airport, and we all headed and congregated at the airport. Now, we stayed travelling around the airport for a, a, a short period of time, probably about an hour and a half or so, and we really used the airport as a, a significance in the way we feel that our emissions are being unfairly measured. Um, you Your listeners will uh, know of the current conversation that's taking place about the expansion of dublin airport by 25 percent you know that's outside of any issue that we have that may certainly have to happen but we were disappointed with the government conversation around that where certainly minister mcgrath said that he felt that the airport should expand because not expanding would affect the economic viability of the country now that annoyed farmers because that, that same sentiment was not shown towards farmers when we were being given a 25% reduction in emissions, and what is actually happening now is a subsequent reduction in stock numbers. Um, We would feel that affecting uh, the output of farming is economic suicide for rural Ireland, and we just went to the airport to make a point of that. Now, the second way is that the unfair treatment of our emissions, um, the airport, the airlines say they will reduce emissions by using biofuels. Of course, they'll be grown by farmers. And by using a biofuel in an airline, it is deemed to be reducing emissions. Yet if we fed that same crop to our cows, it would be deemed to be increasing emissions. And we are really concerned about that type of narrative or that type of treatment of emissions from different sectors. So, Jonathan, it was certainly a a sense of frustration for us, that whole narrative around the the, the airport. And it just we used it as an opportunity before we went to meet the councillors on the straight road.
1: And one of the signs put it very well, flights or food, flights over food. You know, you talk there about the different kind of uh, way that things are measured when it comes to airports expanding. Well, well, then that's permissible, you know, under certain conditions. But whereas the farmers are constantly being put uh, tighter and tighter into a corner. But that sign you had flights over food, flights or food, that put the point you've been talking about earlier very well.
0: It did indeed. And look, it's just a short little statement, a short little question, uh, you know, that people can answer for themselves as they see what's happening here in the narrative. Um, But it it certainly, it it summed up the frustration, um, you know, and the consideration that farmers gave to it. And the fact that, you know, we had 60 farmers, 60 tractors at the airport, uh, the convoy built to 100 tractors and all as we gathered towards the county hall, which was an extraordinary amount of uh, farmers to get out some, some some people were making cows at four o'clock on on monday morning john to make this um so it was it was a huge effort magnificent effort and you have to compliment to all the farmers and indeed lots of contractors now who who are in, in on this as well because they're being uh, as affected as farmers uh, with the whole regulations their their works uh, schedules their capacity to put staff towards projects the amount of machinery now that they have to buy for shortened periods of periods of times so you know the whole regulation thing which was the point that we were there for the day um, at the councillors um, it, it's all coming to a head now all coming to play the complications of regulations the fact that regulations are give time, given time for us to see the effect of them and the fact that we've won regulation immediately after another one which just doesn't allow any farmer or contractor to, uh, to, to plan their business uh, to invest in their business um, and, and the industry is really, and I know for, for a fact that the co-ops are feeling this same um, um, threat to their businesses uh, coming from this overregulation.
1: Now, to put it very carefully and delicately, the feedback from the farming community and rural communities, particularly uh, the farming sector, that mental health is a very important issue. Perhaps it's the skies out of pride a person is very careful not to talk about having mental health problems. But would you say the very fact that the latest stage of an is Enough campaign got underway and was so well supported that in some way eased the mental pressure on farmers because they got an opportunity of stating their case publicly and they had an opportunity to set out what they genuinely believe in and... Remind people that without farmers, no food.
0: You are correct, John. Certainly, in identifying the whole pressures from this regulation being a huge hit on the mental effects, the mental health of of farmers and their families. And, and you know, it was certainly part of the reason for the frustration of being out that morning. But of course, we've no solution to this unless we get uh, movement and unless we get understanding from government and from EU on this. I think we've come here with um, simple asks, and those asks are, we understand that uh, we have to move our businesses with new regulations from time to time, but if a farmer moves a business, uh, invests in in new methods, changes his business structure, that farmer should be given a period of time after that, a period like seven or eight years, where no further restriction will affect that farmer's capacity to farm or their ability to repay loans. Um, And I do think it's a reasonable ask and it's something that we need to get. And I think that would have a huge uh, health effect on on, um, on the mental well-being of farmers. It would also really help farmers um, plan uh, a generational change. It would help farmers to to plan an exit from farming. But at the moment, everything is on a push. Um, You're being pushed out They're being pushed to the side um, and farmers themselves are not being able to make their own decisions on the direction that they want to go.
1: Thank you very much indeed, Mr. Conor Leary, IFA Munster Chairman. Thank you, Conor, very much indeed. Thanks a million. You're welcome, John. And that's our Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme for now. I'm John O'Connor. Thanks to everyone who contributed to our programme including guests as well as Barry O'Malley, 6 fm and C103, Head of News, Marie Tuig, 6 fm and C103, News Reporter and News Reader, and also creator of the regular Farm Talk podcast on C103 homepage. Very special thank you to you, the listener, for tuning in. The Dairy Gold Farm Talk programme, Saturdays, 7am to 8am, and Wednesday evenings, 10pm to 11pm. Podcast available Saturday mornings on C103 homepage.
0: Farm Talk on C103 with Dairy Gold. Choose Gold Performance Pack
5: includes biotin, sac, and protected minerals to reduce lameness, boost milk solids and fertility.